Hi there, I'm your host Macaulay Tucker and you're listening to The Macaulay Tucker Show, the podcast where I sit down with some of the most accomplished and fascinating individuals in the entertainment and business industry. From celebrities to industry leaders, our guests offer unique perspectives and inspiring stories that will educate and inform you. Join me as I sit down with my next guest to cover their humble beginnings, challenges they faced, as well as their accomplishments in life. You are bound to learn something new, so sit back and enjoy the interview. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Macaulay Tucker Show. Today, we've got a very special guest, Eduardo. Eduardo directed and helped create and write uh, this very popular film that you might know called The Blair Wish Project. And uh, today on the show, we're just going to be talking to him about uh, about this film, about his uh, number of other films that he's helped on, and just what it's like to be a director and a writer, also talking about his time on television. So I really hope you enjoy this interview, so sit back and enjoy the show. I wanted to just kind of hear from you. Why exactly film? There's a bunch of other different careers out there. What interests you uh, in going into film over the other careers that you could have gotten into? Well, um, the you know, I mean, film was kind of like a childhood love. Um, and uh, my dad would take me to the movies a lot. And my dad was like a big movie fan. Uh, he, you know, he loved going to the movies and watching movies on TV. And uh, he, uh, my dad, my parents, we're all from Cuba. We you know immigrated from Cuba back in like 1972. And um, so he didn't speak English. He still doesn't speak English. So he would basically watch most of the movies that were kind of understandable without, you know, without being able to, you know, know the language. Because back back then, subtitles were just, you know, every once in a while you would see a could see a movie in, with subtitles, but that wasn't like a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, he kind of cultivated this love and and just of of the moment of that kind of the event of watching, sitting down and watching a movie, going to the theater. And then I saw Star Wars um, in, uh, you know, in 1977 when I was like, you know, eight years old, eight or nine. And, um, you know, it kind of just, you know, blew my mind. It was not only like the movie, but it was like this cultural event, like all the people around me were talking about Star Wars, like my age and you know, there's news stories and magazines. And then, um, so, you know, it kind of got me interested into like how people made movies and how, you know, the special effects. So I started like, you know, uh, reading magazines about filmmaking and about mostly about like science fiction movies. And that's why was my main thing because of Star Wars. Um, but, you know, and I, and, and I kind of like, I remember like making little storyboards for like, shooting my own movie like I was going to shoot this alien movie this UFO abduction movie and I remember like I I remember the idea of like storyboarding before I think I guess I learned it you know during with the Star Wars like you know how they planned the effect shots and everything they drew everything out so it really connected with me and I remember making like little storyboards but I never shot anything until I was in high school and Mm -hmm. I took a TV production class and all of a sudden, you know, I was like, wow, you know, th- there's actual careers in this and there's actual, you know, not not just like, you know, director, you know, not only, you know, it's not just Steven Spielberg or George Lucas. It's also all the technicians and, you know, the uh, the teacher really opened my eyes to like the possibilities. And that's, that was in 11th grade. So I guess I was like 16. And until from that moment on, I was a filmmaker, like that's how I identified myself for good and for bad. And then, um, 
and I just loved every aspect of it. You know, like I just got into like the editing, especially and the directing and even acting a little bit and, um, you know, uh, the lighting. I mean, everything, camera work, like it was just, you know, kind of I just it was something that I was like, um, you know, it was almost it was like a career that all of a sudden somebody said, hey, you can do this. And I was like, of course I can do that. And then it just kind of there was no looking back. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how I initially, you know, became interested in, in films. You mentioned a lot of really interesting things that things there. And I, you mentioned Star Wars. I know uh, you love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. It's a big part mm -hmm. of my family. And here's yeah. one question. I'm not sure if you've ever been asked this before. If you were given the opportunity to direct, write and control a Star Wars project, what would it look like? Um, I mean, that's a lot of responsibility. I mean, the, the, it's kind of a a double-edged sword the whole star wars mm -hmm. thing because like if you're given too much responsibility um uh, it seems like you uh there's no way to like win you know like um like a jj abrams situation or even yeah. solo like the idea of like you know uh, bringing to life a young han solo that's a tough thing because you know we all at my generation and i think you know you know even your generation like you know through your parents or whatever we grew up watching Star Wars and, um, you know, the original ones. And I think that, like, it's just a bit like, you know, J.J. Abrams was, you know, took on the task of, like, finishing this, you know, th this these this trilogy of trilogies. Um, and he was just bound to fail because, there's you know, you can't please everybody. And I thought the films were good. You know, I thought that, you know, I have my own opinions about them. I love every Star Wars film, no matter how, you know, weird it is or how how... Um, you know, how I, I judge them differently, you know what I'm saying? Some some are better than others, obviously, mm -hmm. but I do love all of them. Um, but I feel like getting doing something really huge, like close to the Skywalker um, thing would be tough. So I would like try to do something with like a much lesser known character. Okay. And, and maybe, and I would like probably do like a horror, like a Star Wars horror film. Um, you know, like I love the idea of like, and I know there's been some stuff done about it, but like, a you know, like stormtroopers and rebels, like a, a small squad of rebels and stormtroopers stuck on this planet. And there's like these creatures hunting them down and they have to kind of join forces to like survive. And, you know, something like that would be cool, but maybe like some character from the original trilogy, you know, that, you know, somebody that's kind of related um, I mean, I, I think it's why like Mandalorian had such a great, um, you know, has, you know, everybody loves Mandalorian. And I think also Rogue One was like one of the favorite, you know, movies is that it's related to like the original stories, but you're not following characters that, you know, you grew up with, you know, and, um, and, and, you know, and I think Mandalorian, honestly, um, I think the, 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 the further it goes away from the Skywalker for me, the saga, the better, you know, like I, I like kind of, you know, I like the, 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 you know, Luke in, in season two or whatever, especially like in, in Boba Fett, um, you know, or Luke shows up, you know, at the end of season two, I guess, right. Of Mandalorian, um, or, or one, I can't remember, but anyway, um, you know, to me, I was like, you know, it's cool seeing Luke, but I would much rather just have it be its own adventure. You know what I mean? Like its own story. So I would do something like that, you know, but again, I would rather, I would probably rather do something in television, like start, you know, with directing some of these shows and then slowly move into like maybe creating my own uh, series. But uh, that's a tall order, man. I mean, it's yeah. like 
it's you know, there's no way to win and, and that's kind of um it's a tough thing that the star wars fandom has become that way you know yeah i just wanted to ask you that because i thought to be a really uh, cool question to ask you since i know you you've done a lot of different things and i thought why not ask if you had that opportunity to make a star wars thing what would it look like so yeah. kind of going back to film you know um i'm not sure how the timeline goes but you were you got into film and i want to talk a little bit not a lot but talk a little bit about of course the Blair Witch Project, the film sure. that we all know. It, it's I was doing a lot of research about that yesterday, and it was just like looking into this, and it's it's quite large. There's like comics. There's like tons of different things. And if I were in your shoes, I would just be thinking like, wow, this is so, so crazy. And of course, you're used to it now. It's been so many years, and you're like, I, I don't know. This must have been like a this is this must be bizarre. And um, I would love to hear just like just at the beginning, like, and you've probably shared this story a lot, but I'd love to hear for those who haven't heard it. How did this exactly come to be, specifically the story? Just what, how did this uh, progress? Like, how did this uh, go into story to film? Yeah, we were, you know, Dan Myrick, who I, you know, co-wrote the movie with mm -hmm. and co-directed it and everything. We were film school buddies and we were in University of Central Florida in Orlando. And um, the, uh, you know, we were just kind of hanging out on weekends and, you know, we're like poor film students, so we really can't do much. Um, and, uh, we were at, we actually went to a free screening of, uh, Freddy's dead. I think one of the nightmare on Elm street movies, like one of the la latter ones. And, um, the, uh, you know, uh, it was the one with Roseanne Arnold and, or Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr. So it was, you know, a lot of comedy. It was just a weird movie. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I liked it. I mean, you know, I always, I love the Freddy movies, but at the same time, it was like not scary. And Dan and I were like, man, you know, I wonder why aren't there any more scary horror movies? Like when was the last time you got scared? And we started talking about the movies that scared us as kids. And we kind of, and then we went to a video store and rented a bunch of, you know, movies from that time period. And the thing that really stuck with us was, was this little subgenre of like entertainment in the late seven, well, really in the seventies and eighties where like there was like these mock documentaries that were um that were you know not 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 advertised as mock documentaries like there like like at that time there had been you know spinal tap had been done um I'm pretty sure so um you know there was already this idea I, I think spinal tap was in the I don't know but yeah. that was one of the one of the original kind of inspirations for like you know a fake documentary but no, nobody had like done like the whole hoax thing, like saying, oh, no, this is real, you know, like the, so. And there was a show called In Search Of in um, in the 70s, and it was a documentary show and it was about all this like paranormal stuff, you know, and those episodes, especially the ones about Bigfoot and UFOs and Loch Ness Monster were just really scary. And when we rented these, you know, these the, we, we got a couple of VHS tapes with In Search Of episodes on there. We were still scared you know we were like in our you know early 20s and um you know we were like you know it was like wow that's still kind of scary and creepy and you know uh you know gives us goosebumps so we started thinking about like how you know i wonder if that would work for a modern audience you know something where it's like you know it's 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 set up as fact and you know only the filmmakers know that it's fake so we kind of went down this rabbit hole and we ended up that, that night of, you know, the I think the initial idea was like a film crew, um, you know, obviously, because, you know, we were pattering, you know, pat, pat, pattering, the, the pattern we were following was the in search of pattern. So it's like we were, um, 
you know, it was like this, uh, you know, we needed a documentary team to be investigating something, you know, paranormal. So we were like, okay, this documentary team goes into the woods. They're looking for some kind of legend about something in the woods and then they disappear. And then their footage is found, you know, years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was kind of like one of the things, early things. And then also the idea that like, you know, that the, the, the audience is kind of stuck you know, as a protagonist, like you're literally in the, in almost like, uh, it, it's all, we call it POV cinema. It's like almost mm-hmm. like before the term found footage was, you know, was, uh, was, was invented. Um, but like, so it was like, to, to us, it was like the camera is the eyes of the audience and the eyes of the character. And you're traveling through these woods and you come across this creepy house and you go inside and there's like pentagrams and like, you know, there's like, you know, little bits of like that there's some kind of sacrifices happen in these rooms and you go, you look down the hall, there's like a, a door, a creepy door, and you go down into the cellar. So we had that initial idea of like how the movie would end or, you know, at least an, an, a scene from the movie. Um, and then Dan and I, this was like early 90s. And then Dan and I kind of sat on it for a while. We were doing other things, uh, trying to graduate from film school and, you um, he had a feature that was he was doing. I had a feature. And, uh, you know, and then later on in like 1996, we decided to get back together and be like, you know, let's do this. We It wasn't even called Blair Witch. It was called The Woods Movie. And that's when we um, we got Greg Hale involved, who was our producer. And then he really kind of like, he had like the kind of a producer brain. So he he was like, let's do this and let's do that and let's do this. So we started casting it. We cat we um it took us about a year to get all our you know ducks in a row. So we shot it in the uh, in October of 1997, and then we edited all through 1998, and then it was released in 99. We got into Sundance, um, you know, 1999, uh, and we sold the movie at Sundance, and then you know the rest is uh, you know is history or whatever. I think it's really fascinating hearing this this breakdown and just hearing how this amazing film uh, came to be. And one of the really uh, big parts of this film, and my father talked to me a lot about this when he uh, introduced this uh, story to me many years ago, was the marketing. And so this is a, a question that I wanted to ask you, and I was trying to find a way to ask you this question. I think this is one of the uh, questions I did have. So, you know, the marketing campaign for the, the Blair Witch Project was, you know, extremely effective and, you know, was building buzz and hype around, around the film. You know, in your opinion, do you believe that that movie marketing has improved or declined in effectiveness since this time? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, it's definitely more tr- more um, uh, targeted now, you know, like obviously like they can, you know, they, they know exactly what kind of person goes to see the, you know, Fast and Furious movies or Star Wars or, you know, um, you know, older audiences, whatever they know, you know, and, and they know what audience, you know, where that audience is. And, and they knew it back in that day too, but now because of the internet is so like, everything is kind of, you know, channeled through the internet, at least even in, like information gathering, um, you know, just uh, uh, audience research, it's all mostly through internet now. So like you have more pin, you know, targeted, uh, you know, uh, you know, able to target audiences better, but the audience now is like bombarded with more things. And also they're more savvy. Like, I think people are more savvy to be, to see what advertising really is. And I think not that we weren't savvy back then, but it wasn't, it was basically TV and radio 
um, was the only place you would get advertising. Like, I mean, you know, the web was very small and there was advertising, but it was just, it was not really, I don't know how much it was working. You know what I mean? Like the only time back then in 90, you know, late nineties, um, subscription service was really like, you know, AOL was, you know, kind of the king and, and, um, you know, you would basically have to pay a fee to be on there, you know? So, and then slowly they began to figure out how to make money with, you know, um, you know, uh, advertising. But we, we did Blair Witch. This is before Google, before uh, YouTube, before Facebook. So it was very much like a very limited kind of audience um, that was kind of that was out there. Um, and I think so I think, you know, it was there was more kind of for us, the advantage of us was that it was literally like being on the cusp of like television and being like able to like hey let's market a movie for the first time on television and see what we can do with it you know what i mean we were like kind of there hadn't really been much marketing for movies on the internet and um or, or the marketing was just very basic they would have like a website and you could like see the actors and the director and a couple of shots you know see, you know a couple of scenes from behind the scenes footage but it was just kind of basic stuff mm -hmm. and Blair Witch for us kind of um you know there was it was a really good opportunity because we were like the whole movie was about you know a fa it was a fake documentary so I was like all right so if we were on the internet if we were for real and we had this footage of these you know people being lost in the woods like, how would we market that? And how do we get the word out? I was like, well, we would put a website up and then the website would have information about, you know, so we just kind of started building this website and I had some website ex building experience. So I spent my days building this website and then editing at night. Dan would edit during the day and, and he had a girlfriend. So he was, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. So he had, you know, he, he went home and hung out and I basically just, all I had was, you know, just work. And I was fine with it, you know, it was kind of kept, kept my mind off other things and, um, you know, uh, built this website. And so, you know, it was kind of, it, and and the, the way it was worked was I think people didn't know it was marketing, or at least they didn't feel it was marketing, even though they realized it was a movie. And then eventually they find out it was, they found out it was fake and they, but they still went back to the website. They were still part of this community. It didn't matter to them. And I think that's the big difference between advertising then and now, or at least on the web, is that we were kind of on the cusp of like being able to like throw out information, but, you know, and have it out there and have people reading it. But there was no like, um, you know, there was no there was no way to 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 to. Um, to invalidate that information you know you couldn't go like our our you know the three film students went to supposedly went to mc montgomery college which is where i went to college you know a simple web search could have found out that they never those people never went to montgomery college these you know what i'm saying or like look on facebook and oh there's this facebook thing oh no he's an actor obviously this is a movie so back then there wasn't this you know there wasn't this mechanism of like you know of validating information so or you know so um, or invalidating information. And uh, so we kind of, it just kind of blew up. And and again, people were like really into it. And I think nowadays, like you can still, I think people are just so, uh, they know they're being marketed to 24 hours a day. So you have to kind of come in and um, you have to find a new way in, you know what I'm saying? Like, or a way to entertain them. You know, and I think that's what like, you know, why funny commercials work. It's like, you're entertaining people and you're still getting this message across, you know? So it's not, you know, it's not like a new thing idea, but we were just on the cusp of this new technology 
that was going to change the world. And we just happened to have a movie that we were shooting that, you know, we were doing right in 1999 where like the internet was blowing up and it was a movie that like that lent itself to creating, you know, a, you know, a, a, a fictional or, or a non-fictional, um, you know, shell around itself. You know what I mean? So it was just kind of perfect timing, you know? Yeah. And the marketing for this film, like looking through all this stuff, like it's just super fascinating and I, it's just really interesting. And I, I have a friend of mine named Ethan who loves making films and I'm not sure that it's, it's very found footage uh, like it's a very new recent genre of, uh, of storytelling but it involves making like social media platforms like instagrams links and it's just like a whole rabbit hole of things like that and my friend ethan like really really enjoys that and so he's like going around with his camcorder and like making fake social media stuff and so that's one way that i feel like people can pull that off nowadays yeah i mean i think the key now is like you know you're not gonna fool people Mm -hmm. and even back then like you know we never we, we were aware we're aware of the idea of like you know, if people find out it's a hoax or that we're trying to fool them, people are going to get angry and it's going to be backlash. So we never, you know, we never thought that that the movie was going to be marketed as real. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That was later on when Artisan was like, yeah, we're going to market it as real. <laughs> and we're going to keep the actors out of, you know, out of interviews and, you know, for the first couple of weeks. And, you know, so it was them that really kind of pushed that. But even then, back then, we were very aware of the idea of like being fooled. And I think nowadays, people know they're being fooled. You just have to be kind of like, you have to let them in on that. And I guess, and you have to make a fun ride. I think people will, I mean, obviously everybody knows that movies are fake, but they still love to watch them. And the same thing with TV shows, they love to watch them because you're taking them on this ride. So as long as you're taking them on this, on a ride and you respect your audience, I think you can still do, you know, you can still kind of create that stuff like your friend is doing, you know, just mm-hmm. something fun, like, you know, it's fake, but there's a fun thing like, oh, my God, this Instagram, you know, th- account is just is fake. And this, you know, it's like you love kind of research. And people love that. You know, some people uh, really love kind of digging deep and, and and trying to find every single detail of a project. You know, it's a fun mm-hmm. way to do it. Yeah. And I I, exa- I really appreciate that about storytelling. You know, I mentioned before recording that I, I love uh, making worlds and lore and connecting everything. I've got a friend of mine who like does that with with his stories. He's trying to like he's got like a thousand word Google document where he's connecting all his stories together. And it's just it, there's a joy I guess that comes from from doing that. You know, with the Blair Witch Project, I was going to ask this earlier. You mentioned that your father, you know, family from from Cuba. Uh, did your father have the opportunity to watch the Blair Witch Project? Um, I'm not certain if it was translated into any other languages, but I'd love to ask you that. I'm like, oh, this that'll be a cool question to ask. I'm very curious about that. Um, yes, he saw Blair Witch. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think Blair Witch came out everywhere. Um, and I'm sure it was translated in certain markets because certain markets trans do translations, you know, and then some don't, but I'm sure, yeah, there's definitely a Spanish version of Blair Witch somewhere. I don't know what version he watched. He probably just watched the American version. I mean, my dad watches a lot of movies with subtitles. So I think Mm -hmm. he's kind of used to that, you know, um, but, you know, I mean, it's not really my dad's kind of movie, okay. you know, um, you know, like, and then and my mom, you know, forget it. Um, you know, her comment was, you know, why is there so much cussing? I think was her main mm-hmm. comment. But, you know, at that point, they were so excited about the success and, you know, like kind of, you know, they knew that this was my lifelong dream and they knew how much like, you know how much I had sacrificed and also they knew how much they had sacrificed you know you know putting me through film school and you know paying helping me pay for some of my films and 
you know, they, they gave me a lot of money, a lot of support. And uh, so, you know, they, they were kind of like, whatever. But my mom has definitely told me like, why don't you make, you know, Christian movies or why don't you make, um, you know, kids movies or something mm -hmm. that I could watch. Cause they, I don't think either of them are, are horror movie fans. Um, uh, but uh, my, I did a movie called Exists, which is a Bigfoot yes. movie. And my dad liked that one because it has, you know, there's action in it and, um so i mean you know that's my that's the thing with my dad he really does love action movies and that's really his kind of genre to, to you know his favorite genre so um unfortunately i ended up in the horror genre you know so it's very encouraging to see that your parents um really uh support you in in the film and in, in storytelling i think that's very very valuable and very very important one Absolutely. thing i found fascinating about you is you've done your fair share of horror films. And one question that I was really wanting to ask you um, from a director point of view, uh, how do you direct non-horror films? And from like directing a lot of horror films in your earlier years, is, is it very different? Uh, is it challenging when you initially started directing? I know you started, you've done a FBI, some episodes of FBI and yeah. things like that. Like, I'd love to ask you that question. Is it different? Is it is it very similar? No, I mean, I mean, look, the technique of making movies is, you know, is kind of the same as it's ever been. You know, like obviously technology changes. You know, we we when we shot Blair, Blair Witch is kind of the, um, you know, the exception because we shot it in a very non-conventional way, mm -hmm. um, and that was just because you know it was supposed to be a documentary. So we we're like, well, let's shoot it like they're let's let the actors shoot it and let's make it look like a documentary. You know, that was the that was kind of what it, we wanted it to look like. But um, I, you know, I I I never I didn't do a horror movie for a long time. Like I I in 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 uh in high school, when I was in high school, Miami Vice was really huge. So all most of my of my you know high school movies are just Miami Vice ripoffs. Um, and it's just you know, and and also it's like you know you're learning. There are more more exercises than really films. You know, you're trying to learn how to match cut and like you know you're, you're learning the basics of filmmaking. You know, taking baby steps. And then even in college, like you know, I comedy and action really is like kind of what I love. What what I, what I used to. I mean, I still love everything, but I I always thought that I was going to be, you know, kind of an action horror action comedy filmmaker. Um that was really what I enjoyed. I like I did a, you know, so, so once I got into, you know, when I did Blair Witch, all of a sudden you're like, wow, you're a horror filmmaker. And, and you know, and, and I never considered myself a horror filmmaker. And I had to kind of, you know, you, you I had to kind of go back and, and, and um, study the genre a little bit, you know, cause I mean, I've always loved horror movies and I, but I, they're, it's definitely not my favorite genre. Mm -hmm. um, again, probably because my dad didn't really like horror movies. So I always gravitated towards the stuff, obviously, that my dad would take me to. But then once I got a little older and I had a friend and they, you know, I would mostly go to movies with him, then it was kind of like I, you know, watched everything. Um, and he didn't really like horror movies either. So it was very much insulated. I was kind of insulated from that genre, even though I did watch, you know, Jaws and Am Amityville Horror and The Exorcist and Shining. Like I would watch those movies, but, you know, I wasn't like something that I was coming back to over and over again. Um, and also back then, you know, you got to realize that back then you couldn't rent a movie, you know, when I was, you know, when I was growing up, you watched a movie in the theater, or you watched it when it came on TV, and it wouldn't come on TV sometimes for years after it was on the theater in the theater. So, 
it wasn't like you could rent it a movie or you could, you know, uh, there's no VHS. And this is before all that. So, you know, it's very limited what you what you could watch, you know what I mean? Um, but now, you know, like when I when I so basically I learned directing, for, you know, doing other genres and then I learned mm -hmm. to be a filmmaker and it's still I mean, I'm still learning to be a filmmaker. You know, every time I do a, te a television show, you're learning things and you're, you know, collaborating. And I love the collaboration. And there's so many talented people in this business that you're you know constantly being inspired by and um so it wasn't a difficult transition and also the the the, the biggest thing i took from like my indie filmmaking world or, or just being an independent filmmaker from you know the age of 16 is the pace you know like you're moving fast and you're not waiting you, know, you don't have any time to waste and television is is very much like that you're very much kind of run and gun the whole time no matter what show it is you're constantly rushing and trying to get through the day so that was really like what the main thing that really prepared me but it wasn't much of a challenge to go back you know to for me to go back and forth you know between genres and it's and as you've gone through all these different genres it's you're going to learn a lot from those experiences and um I, I find that really valuable uh trying different things and trying different genres and i've also found it fascinating that you mentioned you know horror isn't you know your number one genre you're you're open and interested in working with uh other genres you know comedy things like that and i i love comedy films i love they're super fun i really enjoy them uh you know the blair witch has impacted you know the, the whole industry i remember going to the antique mall the antique mall close to my house and i'm like oh look there's a there's a blair witch parody and it's like made by Polly shore and i'm like wow that's yeah. that's crazy and so i guess kind of like last question kind of around the blair witch like what's what's your thoughts on this on this huge this huge impact and uh are there any uh big big plans for the future involving this story um you know man i mean you know it's kind of like um you know Blair Witch I mean the reason I'm talking to you is because of Blair Witch you know what I mean mm -hmm. like I owe so much you know the reason I'm in this house and I have all this Star Wars crap behind me is because of Blair Witch you know mm -hmm. um you know it, it gave me financial stability and it gave me you know uh career stability like it actually gave me a career um and um it was because of Blair Witch that I got an opportunity to direct other films and then I got an opportunity to get into into television and uh and I feel very blessed to have been a part of it because it was, you know, obviously just not me. It was me and and a lot of filmmakers and the actors and, you know, everybody that came along, people that helped market it and people that believed in us and gave us money. And, you know, it was, it was so much of a collaborative effort. And I just feel blessed that I did my part and I was a part of it. And, and I'm still, I'm still reaping the rewards of, of, of Blair Witch. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, and, and as far as the impact, you know, it was, it's just an amazing thing. It's just kind of like, um, again, like we started the interview with talking about Star Wars and like, not to compare Blair Witch with Star Wars, because Star Wars it's, is its own thing. And it's, you know, a monster. It's, you know, there's, it's the biggest, you know, probably the franchise with the most, you know, um, the, the biggest franchise ever, probably as far as like story-wise, like just so many stories in Star Wars that revolve, you know, expanded universe and all that stuff, movies and comics and video games. And Blair Witch is just a small sliver of that, but it, but I never thought that, you know, I would have a movie that could even be compared even fractionally to, to Star Wars, you know, like as a kid, you know, watching Star Wars, I was, you know, never thought, oh my, I'm gonna make a movie and people are gonna be talking about it 25 years after it's made. And, um, you know, so I, so again, I feel really blessed and I feel really lucky that I was a part of it. 
and again like Blair and you know I've said this many times like Blair Witch was like the ultimate um the ultimate serendipity project you know like everything that could go go right went right you know and um it it, it was an experiment that somehow morphed into something that was this special little movie and people still love it to this day and you know um you know so so you know to, to me it's like that's i owe everything to blair witch so um you know and i you asked me earlier you were you know you you know you you've been asked every question about blair witch and i'm like you know and and that people ask me all the time like are you tired of talking about blair witch and i'm like you know never never you know never tire of i mean my whole thing is that like if you're interested in hearing my story and and you know about my movie that i made 25 years ago then why would i not want to talk to you about it you know it just doesn't make any sense you know and, and you said like oh you've done a lot of podcasts i'm like yeah i do podcasts because for me it's like again if you want to talk to me about blair witch and or anything any of my work like why would i not you know do that you know and i, I appreciate you know people like you you know and your interest um so you know i don't I, I and i I don't know how to wrap my head around you know what blair witch has become mm -hmm. but you know i just kind of go wrong, along for the ride and you know every, every you know my wife reminds me sometimes she's or you know people send me like oh you know you were a question on jeopardy or you were this or somebody in this show mentioned you know so you know it, it's you know it, it continues to give me like so much pride um in you know in this in what we did you know and again like really lucky that i was part of it yeah and you're exactly right it's really a real blessing uh how how well this film you know uh succeeded and just the whole impact and it, you know it's so so crazy and it's really beautiful to see how you planted the you guys planted this seed and it's just grown into this big big tree of beauty um, yeah. working after the the Blair Witch, you know, working in this industry, there are, and I've speaking with all these guests, there's always challenges that we face and we learn and grow from these challenges. And I wanted to ask you this specific question. What is the most, you know, a significant risk you've taken, I guess, in the film world and uh, how did it turn out for you? Um, I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, risk like you, you, um, you know, with every project you make, at least the ones that I develop and, you know, especially with my films, I haven't made that many films. Um, but, you know, for me, each of them was like a risk, you know, like, like, um, you know, I, I feel you have to risk, especially with films, especially if you're writing stuff yourself, like you have to risk something or else, um, it, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's not really worth it. You know what I mean? It's not really worth the trouble. Um, okay. You know, so, uh, you know, especially, if, you know, I mean, and I, and again, like I do tell, I, you know, I'm a director for hire, you know, I, I'll do, um, you know, I do all kinds of television and people send me scripts for features and, you know, I'm attached to a bunch of features that are, you know, you know, trying to be financed and going, you know, studio route, whatever, trying to get green lit. Um, so, you know, it's not like everything I do nowadays is like a risk, but I do feel like every, you know, there is a certain risk when you go in, in the television world, when you go, and this is mostly what I do is you go into a new show that you've never been in, you would work with people that are, that you've never worked with, you know, hundreds of people around you that you've never worked with. Now I've been in the industry long enough where like, there seems to be always one or two people that I know and, you know, each crew. And that's really cool. It's kind of like, Hey, I worked with you on this. And, you know, there's like a connection and I love that. Um, so there's a risk of like, you know, Oh my God, am I going to screw this up? Am I going to like, 
are, are you know, are people going to like me? You know, are people going to like the, what I'm doing with their show? Are the actors going to be cool? You know, so there's always a risk as, you know, being just like, um, you know, because you're going into a new setting. But I mean, everybody takes, you know, everybody has to do that. You know, you got it's your work. You, know, you have to go in and, and figure it out. So, you know, it's kind of a unique in my position because I, it's almost like I have to do a new workplace every time I work. You know, I have to be you know, um, and I'm kind of the boss, you know, or, or one of the bosses. So it's a very difficult situation, but it's challenging and there is a risk. But, you know, so far, you know, most of the time they ask me back and, you know, I'm pretty proud of the stuff that I've done on television. And usually I, I do pretty well. Um, and then film wise, you know, every film I make has been a risk. You know, people have been telling me not to do it. And, you know, there's always been, you know, like uh, the, all the films I did were independently financed, which meant that, you know, the none of the studios, none of the Hollywood kind of people um, really like wanted to make the, that those films. Um, and it's, you know, so it's so it's, uh, you know, those were big risks, you know, and, and sometimes they paid off and sometimes they didn't. Um, but I think, um, you know, the, the biggest risk, and for me, it was like kind of a no brainer is that I stayed out of LA, like a lot of um, everybody told us after Blair Witch moved to LA, you know, and it really, and you know, and it makes sense. It's like, that's really like my career would probably, you know, would definitely be in a different place if I had moved in that, to LA. Now it might be in a better place, but it also could have been in a worse place because I might've like burned out um you know you who knows what would, have, what would have happened if i had moved to la but i think that was the biggest risk as far as like being in the film business because whenever i tell you know whenever i go on a show and people are like you know where you know you're from la right i'm like no no i live on the e this and they're like whoa like they're everybody's surprised but also kind of impressed that because you know i mean look la is a great town but there's a lot of people that do not want to be there you know they're, they're like oh my god if i didn't have to be in la i would not be in la but and I was fortunate enough to, to again, like be blessed to do Blair Witch and to all, you know, to, so that I had this platform that I didn't have to go to LA and live in LA. I mean, you still have to travel to LA, the business is there, you have to do meetings and stuff. But, you know, as far as like, I still live, you know, half an hour from where I grew up, you know, half an hour from where we shot Blair Witch. Um, and so that there, there is this kind of like, um, you know, I, I love being here. And so that, to me, that was like, you know, it was, it's very difficult having a career in Hollywood in LA period. It's almost impossible to have a career, you know, outside of, of Hollywood, you know, you know, so, so I, you know, I just feel very fortunate that I've been able to so far knock on wood, um, you know, continue to make a living in this business and, um, you know, and still work on really cool stuff, you know? Right. And it's very important, you know, to to take every road, every path you go in life will, you'll learn something from it and you'll learn valuable lessons. And um, I, I've been told that a lot. And I think that's very important to look at everything in life and look at it as a way to to learn and improve and uh, meet new people. And you mentioned, yeah. you know, meeting people that you've worked with previously in other projects. And that's always really exciting. And that's why I enjoy working because you're able to meet different people and everyone kind of becomes family and you're able to go on these little adventures and everybody is just so different. And that's what I enjoy. Oh, yeah. uh, I work yeah. as a, a barista, so I get to experience that at Starbucks, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like... Um, I think, uh, you know, and also, uh, you know, again, like the best thing about my job is that the people that I work with, mm -hmm. you know, uh, really. And also another point you brought up is like, um, 
you learn you learn way more from your failures than your successes mm-hmm. you know um you know like i before blair witch i did two i i did two feature films that didn't get distributed first one was we didn't even think about distribution like it was just second one we were like all right we're going to do this and this and it never worked out you know the way we wanted it to work out so you learn from that and you also grow as a human being you know you grow pain is like the main you know the the main way you grow as a as a person you know unfortunately you know you got to go through pain and uh and you know and, and and also like learn learning the fortitude of like failing and then getting back up and saying all right i'm going to do it again you know even though it was so painful and and you know um you know that's really kind of the perseverance and a lot of film you know most filmmakers have that i think like the idea of like jesus that failed but all right i'm going to go and write another one and do another one you know mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's it's uh you know you you uh you learn all the time you just got to be open to it you know you got to be open to like accepting the fact that you're not going to have the best idea every time you know, and that's a big part of it too, is just kind of uh, letting your ego kind of take a back seat to to a lot of the stuff that you're doing, you know? Exactly. Um, this question I was really excited to ask you, and uh, this one's a really fun one. Um, if you were able to make only one more movie, what would be the subject matter? And uh, why would this subject matter be important to you? Wow, 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 wow. Um. I mean, I, there's, uh, that's a crazy one. (laughs) It's a crazy one because, you know, I have like this huge Bigfoot movie that I've been wanting to do for many, many years. And, um, you know, uh, and I have the script and I think it's a great script and it's just really expensive and nobody wants to make a really expensive Bigfoot movie these days Mm -hmm. or any days really. Um, but, um, you know, there's, um, there's so i want to do a movie about in cuba you know eventually or you know that's what i kind of we we um we had a a tv show at stars that was going to be set in cuba and we were like literally going to go and start scouting and um and then the you know the rug got pulled from us under us uh castro died and then trump got elected and then you know all, all business and all american business in cuba ceased um, but I would love to do something in Cuba about like something historical, like the, you know, the, it's like, it's like an Island that has been, um, you know, downtrodden and the people have been like, you know, persecuted and, and exploited almost their entire history by different people. You know, it seems like everybody, somebody comes in and takes over and kills off or, or takes advantage of the locals. And then somebody else comes in and takes advantage of them and, it's terrible and it's still you know the, it's still like this this island that's under constant turmoil and people are suffering but there's a spirit to the people there that that I've met um and just you know not only my family but just people that you know people I read about and just there's this and, and people also that like I cuz I go to I work in Canada a lot and Canadians go to Cuba all the time you know unlike the the American American people you know rarely go to Cuba because it's kind of illegal um so uh but the canadians are totally open so i take i get so many stories from canadian when they find out i'm cuban they're like oh my god i've been to cuba this many i'm times. a canadian too as well <laughs> oh yeah cool i i mean i love um i i love canada i mean it's one of those places where i'm like 
I think, you know, I always, I always toy with moving to Vancouver. You know what I mean? I always, mm -hmm. my wife, I'm like, yeah, we could move to Vancouver and then or whatever. Anyway. Um, but I feel that like, you know, um, you guys travel so much more than us and you're open, like you're more aware of the, of the rest of the world. And I get, you know, and so many people are like, Oh my God, I love Cuba and the people and this and that. And I'm like, you know, and everybody's the same, like that, that Cuban people have this spirit. And even though they don't have anything, they're still like enthusiastic about life. And, you know, there's like this, this kind of undying will to like, to, to, to live a good life, you know? And so I'd like to do something historical, like, like the slave trade, like the slavery there was really brutal. It lasted longer than it did here in the United States. And, it was you know, the sugarcane plantations were like especially brutal. Like the the average lifespan of a slave on a on a sugarcane plantation was like seven years, and they would just basically like work these people to death and then bring somebody else in. I mean, it was just so brutal. And I've always been wanting to do a movie about because um, I don't know if you guys if you're aware you're very young, but there's this there was this big TV series called Roots that was. Um, you know, it was it was a mini series and it was huge. I mean, everybody watched it. I remember watching it with my parents, even though my parents didn't know what the hell didn't know Spanish <laughs> English. They we watched Roots, so there's always been this like really, um, you know, connection to 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 that, you know, to that just that injustice and and I've always thought about making something here in the United States, but you know, I'm not African American and I feel like you know maybe you know those stories probably should be told by you know people you know african americans or, or somebody you know closer to that so the idea of like switching it over to cuba has always intrigued me and, and again like the more i learn about the slave trade in cuba the more you know it, there's it's actually even if you can believe it like more brutal than than the most of the united states stuff so um i think that would be kind of the movie that i would like do you know if i had one more movie to make um and, and you know so so but I'm so far away from making it. Like I'm doing a little bit of research here and there, but I'm just a really lazy, um, you know, uh, writer. I have been for a very long, a long time. And, um, but you know, that it would, be, you know, it had to be something important like that, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, but again, if it was something where like, you have to start right now with a script, I would do my big Bigfoot script. I think it's, uh, and it, which is also a, a, a period piece. Um, uh, anyway. That was that's the long answer to your question. That's all good. No, and that sounds like the you're talking about that. I'd love to watch a, like a film about that because just hearing that history, I, I enjoy dramas. I enjoy those types of those types of things. But that honestly would be such an excellent film, and that'd be yeah. really just specifically that and it, just specifically tackling that subject, just understanding what it was like in in that situation, you know, and kind of wrapping up. I always, I always ask my guests kind of the same question. Uh, you know, there's a lot of young people, you know, a lot of older people that listen to the show. And I, I like, as mentioned before recording, I, I tried to make these conversations and talk in a way where we can, uh, where we can, uh, tell people about the world we have done that you know uh, the entertainment yeah. world specifically like what's one thing you would want to pass on to the listeners who are watching or listening to the show that you think that they could apply to their everyday life that will uh, help them on this amazing journey whether it be filmmaking or you know any other career but i mean you know i'm not a scholar you know a philosopher but i mean in um you know you uh you look I, I look back at myself you know my my life and there's there's so many times when I was so cruel to certain people um 
sometimes to just people in my school. And, you know, I was a little bit of a bully at times and, um, you know, just kind of, and again, in my twenties, like having this ego of like, I'm a filmmaker and this and that, and even though, you know, I, I don't, I'm a you know pretty nice guy. There were a lot of times where I just kind of lost myself. Um, and, um, and then in the film business, I found, and, and in life, I found that like, um, nice people actually don't finish last, you know what I'm saying? Like good people don't, fin I mean, to me, like, I think that there's, there's always examples of people that are yellers and just, you know, the, and especially in the entertainment industry where like, oh my God, he, you know, this person is such an egomaniac and this and that. And as long as you can make money, you know, you're a good filmmaker or a good actor, people will like kind of let you get away with that behavior a little bit. Now it's less, you know, but before, you know, we all know horrible stories of the abuse that people, you know, have, have that has happened in the film business, entertainment business. But, um, you know, I've learned in my life that just like just being cool and being a nice guy and it is just so helpful and just so much better than the opposite. Like, don't like whenever I go and meet somebody or I hear about an actor and they're like, oh, my God, they're so cool. And they did this. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And and that's why they succeed, you know, and you and you and sometimes you you um you run into people or you, or you see somebody, you know, especially somebody like, you know, I, I like me who, you know, knows about the entertainment industry and kind of, and realizes how hard it is to have a career. Like it's very, very hard to have a career at all in Hollywood, let alone have a, a career that lasts, you know, long, you know, like that, that's kind of the, you know, you, you, you see all these people just come in and then leave and then they're gone. And, and people are like, what happened to this person? Oh, they're, you know, whatever, something happened and they're just not working anymore or whatever. And that's very important, you know, uh, treating people with love, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, be kind and uh, show, uh, show love and, you know, be, be a wise person. You know, to me, it's like, be, be positive, maybe be a Robin Williams, you know what I mean?